Matthew chapter number 5. Make sure we got some volume here. Okay. And let's start with a word of prayer. And you ask God to speak to your heart this morning as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the honor that we have to be able to come before you. Uh, we thank you that uh, we uh, have our salvation, our hope in you. We praise you that uh, we can bring our needs before you and that you will hear and you promised to answer our prayers according to your will. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, this morning, uh, in our hearts, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to work through this service, this auditorium. May you remove all distractions from our minds. May you remove all the distractions from this room. Lord, we ask that uh, your word would, uh, as it is alive, that it would come alive to our understanding and to our hearts and our minds. And that we would apply it and seek to apply it uh, to then uh, put it into action. And so, Lord, we, we ask for your blessing. We pray for your working. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Around uh, when, right about the uh, middle of 2020, when COVID-19 hit, a psychology expert uh, did a study. And uh, he wrote this from a study which he did, that 50% of individuals' uh, differences in happiness are governed by genes, whereas 10% by life circumstances. Think about that. 50% of individual uh, differences in happiness are governed by, the, by genes, inherited genes. 10% by life circumstances, and the remaining 40% by uh, what we do and how we think. Uh, that is speaking of our intentional activities, uh, that which we do uh, all together. So 40% of our happiness is shaped by how we think about the events in our daily lives and what we decide to do on a daily basis. Um, this study alone showed that some of the happiest people on earth, whether these things be, or true, be true or not, but this was the result of the study, some of the happiest things on earth do these things. And I've just pulled about 12 of them out. There were 30 of them on a list, but uh, here are some of them. These are the happiest people. If you're doing these things, you're going you're gonna to be happy. Uh, practice gratitude, <laughs> being a thankful person. Spend time in nature, <laughs> just getting outside. Uh, spend quality time with family and friends. That's always good for the heart. Uh, balanced, having a balanced work life, not working too much. Uh, put holiday decorations up early. Uh, if that makes you feel good, I guess if that makes you happy. In, in COVID-19 era, that made a lot of people happy, I think, in the summertime. But uh, for, that, that may make you happy. Um, and uh, hold the door open for others. Um, go out uh, after uh, new accomplishments, uh, or go after, rather, go after new accomplishments. Uh, don't hold grudges. Uh, boy, that's not always easy to do. Um, see doctors. <laughs> I thought about that one for a second. You know, sometimes I don't want to see the doctor. I feel like I'm going to hear bad news. But, uh, you know, uh, happiness if you see your doctor. Um, smile. Uh, that, that goes a long way if you just smile. That, that can make you a, a whole different person. At least, if we're thinking percentages, at least maybe 5%, okay? Depending how big your smile is, right? And how much teeth is shown. But, and how much teeth you have, maybe, too. But, uh, uh, or, and th this was one that I thought was funny. They eat veggies, okay? I don't know if eating veggies makes you happy or not. But uh, this is what a study showed that the, if you do these things, you're going to be a happy individual. We've been talking together about becoming the happiest person on earth. And what does the Bible tell us about that 
happiest person in all of the earth. We looked at verse 3 of chapter 5 together in Matthew. Uh, at blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We understood last week that a spirit of humility is what the, is being spoken of here in its primary context. We're being poor in spirit, a spirit of humility, of helplessness before God. Not helplessness in our lack of doing anything for God, but helplessness in realizing and acknowledging our very nature. And so as we look together at this next one, we find it together in verse number 4. Now these verses, of course, are the beginning verses of the Sermon on the Mount. They've also been referred to as the Beatitudes. And so as we look at verse 4 together, uh, you should be with me in, in Matthew chapter 5. And just before we read, I just want to say, uh, you men in the sound room, if you can't get it going, I want you to be able to catch the message too. So if you can't get it going, just forget about it. It doesn't always work sometimes. But uh, verse 4, everyone together. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's read it together, everyone. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We talk about what defines the happiest person on earth. And Matthew 5, verse 4, seems to contradict that very thought. <laughs> sorrow produces happiness? How in the world can sorrow, sadness, and discouragement produce comfort? How can that truly make me happy? How can a difficult time in life and a discouraging time in life, how can sadness truly make me happy in the end? Well, it's these things that God was placing an emphasis on, Jesus was placing an emphasis on in his sermon as he placed them in the very beginning of his message. And, and even that much more in verse 4, the second of the very things which he gives us in listing of these Beatitudes is, is that fact of those who mourn. I want you to understand this word mourn, and context always determines meaning, and we can't just simply conclude the meaning of any verse in our English Bible is that ultimate translation. My point is, is as the Bible is written in the, in the original Hebrew, uh, Greek, and Aramaic language, we have to look back at the original language and understand why was the word that was used in the original text used? Because each of those words contain different meaning or define in greater ways than others. And understand that this word mourn, as it is used in verse 4, is actually the strongest word that can be used in the Greek language to describe someone who is mourning. In fact, it is the very word which is used uh, when someone is described for mourning over someone's death. It's a very strong, a very strong emphasis that is being made upon this word. And so, we talk about what defines the happiest person on earth. Well, God tells us, Jesus tells us, that it's that individual who mourns. I want you to understand that there are biblical reasons why mourning makes you the happiest person on earth. And we're going to look at some of these things together. I say to you, number one, why mourning makes you ha the happiest person on earth. Uh, it, it is done so, and that mourning is through a hurting heart. You see, there's different ways in which we can mourn. There's different ways in which we can uh, feel pain. And that is the, that very idea of what we're talking about through pain itself. You can mourn by human physical sufferings. There's, there's human sorrow. There are tears that are flowing. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Uh, maybe it's an emotion which you're feeling. But when we speak of that pain, that mourning, it's something that you are going through in your life. And it's hurting. A hurting heart. You ever go through a hurting time in your life? <laughs> I've been there uh, more than one time. Sometimes where you just feel like you don't know where else to turn. Uh, you're just, you feel like you're just 
down in the lowest valley you can possibly get into. And you don't even know how you can get yourself pulled out. Oh, you feel like you know the answer. And you know that God is the answer ultimately. But you're just discouraged. You're, you're mourning. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 6 and he, a, a parallel verse to Matthew 5. And so keep your finger in Matthew 5 and turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Let's look together at this verse. Luke 6 and verse 21. Remember, it's the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are speaking concerning many and much of all the same instances of Scripture, but written from a different writer. And so what we find in uh, Luke chapter uh, 6 and verse number 21 is, as Luke writes, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. That's the poor in spirit, as we just read in Matthew 5. But notice the end of verse 21. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Boy, Luke has an interesting way of putting it. You, you, this time of mourning is not always going to be the time in which you will mourn. There is, there is laughter, there is happiness, there is joy to look forward to. But we come back to the question, how can happiness or how can laughter come from pain? How can I bring myself from a point of sorrow to the point uh, of happiness? I want, to bring, uh, I want to try to bring our minds to understand this this morning. That it is only through the times of sorrow that we can appreciate the good things of life. I'll say that to you again. It is only through times of sorrow that we can appreciate the good things. I, I was reading of a commentator who put it this way uh, in speaking concerning uh, an Arab proverb that says, All sunshine makes a desert. All sunshine makes a desert. If life was always sunny and rainbows and, and fireworks shooting up in the air, if life was always good and there was no sorrow, there would not be a proper room for growth. We've seen that this summer in Nebraska. Without rain, everything turns one color, brown. <laughs> and everything contains one context, death, right? And everything that's needing to produce that life, the irrigation of sorts, is working itself to death, right? And, uh, but what does the Bible tell us uh, about this, this fact of, of mourning? Well, this pain through sorrow teaches us to appreciate those good things. A land where the sun always shines will soon become a desert place. Uh, no fruit will grow there. Uh, there are certain things which only rain can produce and certain things which only sorrow can produce. You see, God created the emotion of sadness and pain. Not so that we would remain in that state of thinking, but so that we would come to a greater longing and pursuit and joy when we come to the place of happiness. And by the way, that happiness through Christ. Amen? As we've already said this past week, that true happiness is found through God and through God alone. I don't care where you look. I don't care what studies you can do. You can get all the percentage numbers and everything down. You have to do these things, these things. All this will make you happy. You can be like the man we talked about last week, the smartest man in all the, or the wisest man or, or the happiest man, rather, in all the earth. Uh, you, can, you can be uh, the, be t having tests done on you to show that you're just a positive person all the time. But true happiness, as God speaks about, is found in Matthew chapter 5. It's found through God. 
And when broken down to our understanding, God says, blessed or happy are they that mourn. Robert Browning Hamilton wrote a poem that says this, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and narrow words said she, but all oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. You see, sorrow can have one of two responses in your life. It can produce one of two responses. You can either grow closer to God and walk with God, or you can turn away from God. Sorrow can either bring you closer to God and walk with God, or it can turn you away from God. You know, I, I truly believe that there are some instances in cases of individuals that fall into states of depression that there may truthfully be a need for a doctor of some sorts to help with their psychology thinking in some ways. Not in every instance, but there are some people who just mentally they struggle with in their own emotions more than others and therefore have a need of some help uh, physically. But what we're talking about here is a joy which comes from Christ. A happiness which comes from Christ. And one that is so much more appreciated and longed for and desirous when we go through times of sorrow. Christian, could I encourage you today? Maybe you're even going through a difficult time in life right now. A sorrowful time. A time in which you feel like you're pulled down in the dumps and you're discouraged. The Bible tells us, that your response can be one of two ways. You can either remain in that sorrow and let distance be drawn between you and God, or you can, through the sorrow, you can, through the sorrow, grow in Christ. You can, through the sorrow, grow in Christ. Uh, I don't have to explain. We've got many farmers in our church. That proper growth needs the proper amount of sunlight, water, weather conditions all together, all incorporated with one another for something to be successful in its growth. The context of what we're defining here is an individual who allows all the things that God intends for their life to come in, and sorrow is included. God allows the sorrowful times in life, and he does. God is in control of everything. When you look at the life of Job, nothing happened in Job's life without God not allowing Satan to afflict him. God's in control of it all. But do we see God in the midst of the sorrow? And do we grow closer to him through it? Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. Let's look there together. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 through 5. The joy and laughter that comes from sorrow is the result of drawing closer to God. Romans 5 verse 3 through 5. The word of God says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Really? We glory in tribulations? Why? Because knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You see, we're all facing different seasons of life. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, the Word of God says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And in chapter 3 and verse 4 of Ecclesiastes, the Word of God says there, that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. 
There are different seasons of life, and all of us are in different seasons. I'm not talking about the season of your age, okay? We're talking about seasons of, of emotion and, and what I'm going through. What, what, is, what is pulling me one way or another? But in the midst of those seasons, are you letting God bring a blessing through the sorrow? One of the most meaningful verses to me when discouraged was Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord, what? With all thine heart, and lean on to thine own understanding. In some of thy ways, is that what the Word of God says? No, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Just put your faith in God. Believe that he's in control. Believe that he's behind it. Trust him. Believe that through the sorrow, God will bring laughter. God will bring joy. God will bring comfort. The Bible tells us the comforter has already come. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The true comfort that's found in God lives inside of you if you're a believer here today. Let yourself rest upon the comfort which comes from God. Because the truth is, we will not forever be upon this earth. Amen? Someday there will be no more mourning. Amen? There will be no more sorrow. Amen? No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more crying. All those things will be past. When we go to be together with Christ, there will not be any more. Why? Because there will be perfection. You know, the truth is, that emotion of sorrow that's being spoken of that is not in heaven is that emotion of pain and suffering. I truly believe that even today in heaven, those who can very likely see us here on this earth, that there's an emotion of sorrow for those that turn against Christ, for those that refuse to turn against God. You know, the Bible even speaks of sorrow which God himself had. In fact, in the New Testament, only two times do we read of Jesus actually weeping. And in both specific instances, it was when he was looking over the people and seeing the sin in the condition of the world. You know, that leads me to the second point. It is through pain, but also through passion. Through passion, that we can become the happiest person on earth. That pain is through a hurting heart. The passion is through a compassionate heart. A compassionate heart. Turn to Jude, verse 22 and 23. Jude, 22 and 23. A compassionate individual. Does that describe you? When we think of mourning, do you mourn out of compassion for others? Do you mourn out of compassion for the lost, for the condition of this world? Jude 22 verse 23, And if some have compassion, making a difference, Notice the next verse. We often just read verse 22, but look at verse 23. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Christian, are you so compassionate for the lost and those in need of Christ that you are doing all you can to pull others out of the fire of hell, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ? Showing them that they have nothing to fear? Showing them that the... That that they only have joy and happiness to look forward to. You know, none of, us, none of us look forward or desire to die. 
That's, that's never a desire uh, of any of ours. In fact, it's a fear, really, in many ways, that, that comes through our heart and our mind. I was just asking someone a few weeks ago, and, and I said, how are you doing? And they were coming to the point in the end of their life, and their response was, I'm just afraid. I don't want to die. And the truth is, none of us want to die. There's always that fear. But there's hope and joy and happiness in Christ. Amen? Amen. The truth is, though we physically, in our bodies, we don't want to die. We hate to think of life gone from this earth. But it is Jesus who reminds us the happiness, the laughter, the joy that is, that is given to us through Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. All this will someday pass away. Turn with me to Lamentations chapter 1. Here we find what has been called the weeping prophet. Why did Jeremiah the prophet weep? He says in Lamentations chapter 1, and he summarizes uh, in, in, these ver in this verse, and also in verse 16, why he weeps. He brings first the question back to the reader in verse 12 of chapter 1, where he says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow, like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Jeremiah acknowledges that God is the one who's bringing the affliction, and he's speaking, he's personifying, he's speaking concerning the children of Israel, and he's weeping. And he says in verse 16, for these things I weep. Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water because of the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Why is Jeremiah weeping? He's weeping because he sees the result of sin. He's weeping with compassion. And some having compassion making a difference. It's not just simply compassion. It's having such compassion that I'm going to make the difference. I'm going to do something about it. I see what, what, the, what sin is doing. I see what this world's condition is in. And I'm not going to just let it, let it keep going. I'm going to do what I can for God. Christian, are you a compassionate individual? The happiest, the Word of God says, the happiest person on earth is one who is sorrowful through passion. A compassionate heart. Oh, that God would give us a greater compassion for the lost. That our hearts would be so stirred to see that there is no greater priority on this earth than that others would come to a knowledge of Christ. Christian, it's not simply about Bible knowledge. It's not simply about service in your church. It's not simply about faithfulness uh, to, to, in your church or faithfulness in, in, in your duty or whatever it is that you do. Are you doing all that you can as a result of what you do to bring others to a, a saving knowledge of Christ? That others would come to know of the joy in Christ. And by the way, there is joy in serving Jesus. Amen? There is joy in serving Christ. There's no greater joy, quite honestly, than just simply doing what you know God has called you to do in obedience to Him. In John chapter 11, 
in verse 33, and I'll just read these verses together with you. This is the first of the two passages where we find Jesus weep. The Word of God says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, that is, he saw Mary and Martha weeping over the death of Lazarus, Jesus himself, verse 35, John chapter 11, he also wept. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 28, the Word of God tells us that Jesus, as he was going to Jerusalem, and from verse 41 through verse uh, 46, the Word of God tells us that he beheld the city and he wept over it. Why did Jesus weep? Not because of anything more than he saw the condition and the result of sin. It's only because of sin that there is death. It's only because of sin uh, that there are sins that take place in this earth. You remember, uh, if you read John, Luke chapter 19, that after Jesus wept over the city, he came into the city in Jerusalem. And this was just prior to him having been led. A glorious, triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. He's riding upon this donkey, and this triumphant entrance coming in. And as soon as he comes in the temple, what does he find? People are selling and making profit in the house of God. That's why he wept. Because the house of God had been turned into a place of profit. The house of God had been turned into a place of focus upon man rather than focus upon God. Jesus wept for the condition of this world. And I say to you today, if your eyes are not open to, to churches dwindling in attendance as a result of people's sin, if your eyes are not open to uh, the amount of uh, drug uses only increasing in this world and abortions being accepted and the sin of homosexuality being accepted in, in society, and we could go down and down, all down the line, sin being embraced as though it's acceptable, a normal lifestyle. If your eyes are not open to these things, then you need to get down on your knees before God and say, God, give me a compassion. A compassion for the lost. You know what drives me to continue being the pastor here? The lost. And I tell you, the moment that I get my eyes off of trying to bring the lost to Christ is the moment that I'll lose any desire to keep preaching, to keep doing what I'm doing. And I say to you, I don't have to be a preacher to say that. It's the same for all of us. Do you have a compassion for God? Is it a, such a priority to you? Blessed are they that mourn. The Bible tells us through sorrow, through suffering, that is, through a, a hurting heart, there's happiness. Through passion, a compassionate heart, there's happiness. But lastly, through repentance and or a broken heart, the Bible tells us there's happiness. In Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Word of God says, The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51 and verse 17, the Word of God says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Christian, I believe this is the greatest emphasis that God is making upon this verse. God desires, and He promises, but God desires that we would remain with a heart of repentance. I remember um, during my ordination service. You don't know what an ordination service is. It's, it's no, nothing more than a biblical pattern of, of, of men of God coming together and, and really just saying, this man or woman that believes their calling of God to to do what God has called them to do in ministry, we, we 
uh, are laying our hands upon them, asking God's blessing upon them. Essentially, we're giving our approval of it. We believe that God has truly called this individual. And during that time, they ask questions, and those questions are, are not to try to necessarily uh, stump, uh, but they're to, to ask to see if there's a, a knowledgeable answer to know what to say in response. I remember one of the questions that was asked to me was, uh, how would I define repentance? How would I define repentance? What do I believe that repentance is? Uh, whether my answer was completely what was expected, I still don't really know. But uh, my answer to that was, and I still believe according to the Word of God, is that repentance begins first upon the day that you receive Christ. You repent of your sins. You acknowledge your need of Him. I have sinned in my life. I need Christ. God, I'm asking that you come into my life. I give my life to you. But repentance is also a continual state of mind. That we would remain before God in sorrow, in mourning over our sin. Why am I weeping? Why am I mourning? Because I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve God's love. Christian, blessed are they that mourn. Do you mourn over your own sin? It's unfortunate to say that too many Christians walk around like they are sinless. Like, now that I'm a Christian, I, I don't have any sin. There's little, there's little to no confession of sin. Because we don't believe we've done wrong. We believe we're in church when we should be. We're singing the hymns, memorizing scripture, we're reading our Bibles. But we're not sinless. The truth is we commit daily as a result of our sin nature. There is no perfect person out there. But do you remain in repentance before God? Christian, if you are not regularly repenting of your sins before God, I'm not saying that you are becoming a Christian again. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. We don't have to keep confessing our sins in order to receive salvation. The moment that you receive Christ and confess of your sin and acknowledge your state of who you are, the Bible says you are a Christian for all eternity. It's eternal salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Eternal salvation. But what we are saying is that you should be continually examining your life. We talked about this in Sunday school. You are confessing and forsaking of your sin. The Bible tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we come to him with a confession. You don't come to the preacher. Sometimes people come to the pastor even. I've had people come to me and they say, Pastor, that's what I'm going through. These are all the things. And after they pour out everything that they're going through, I pray with them, I try to encourage them in the word of God, and I never see them again. And in some sense of their mind, it's, I've got to get all this off my chest. I've got to give, share it with somebody. All these things that I'm going through, these mistakes that I've made, when God all the time is the one to whom the confession is to be brought to. Christian, I wonder, are you in a continual state of repentance? Do you weep over your own sin? Boy, I read this passage and I consider this thought and I point the finger at me and ask myself, boy, when was the last time I wept over my own sin? When was the last time it just brought me down to tears? That God would choose me, a sinful human being, to be a child of His. Let alone, let alone to preach. 
let alone to be in the house of God to come into his presence, let alone to pray before him, let alone to possess and own a, a, a copy of God's word. But yet our mourning, unfortunately, our weeping on this earth becomes exactly that, all for things and about things upon this earth before they really do about the spiritual things. And this is the emphasis that Jesus makes all through the Beatitudes. We're talking about a spiritual mourning. A spiritual mourning. That I weep during the painful times of life so that I can better enjoy, so that I can better see, so that I can grow in my walk with God to get to know Him better. That I weep because of the condition of this world and I weep because there are those who are lost and going to hell. And if I don't do all I can to get help them to know about Christ, then they'll never hear about him. That I weep because I am unworthy. I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve all that God has given to me and all that God has done for me. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Listen to this. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I want to read to you just, and you're listening very well this morning. I want to turn to you to a few final passages, and I hope that you won't shut me off just yet. Galatians chapter 3, in verse number 3. We're going to turn here, and then it will also be in Romans in just a moment. But notice Galatians 3, verse 3. Paul brings this question to the Galatians. He says, Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And in other words, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, you're fools! If you are living life on this earth for all the desires and all the things that you want and forgetting all the while that you're a sinner in need of Christ, just because you are a Christian does not give you the exemption to live life however you desire to live it. Don't be so foolish. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's turn there. He brings a question much the same way. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. With the, very, with the thought in mind that we are all sinners in need of Christ, he brings yet another question in Romans 6. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? These are questions he's bringing back to the reader. What shall we say? What should we do? Now, should we just continue in sin? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, if you have it marked it, mark it, even so also should walk in newness of life. A Christian who is remaining in a spirit of repentance is one who is walking in newness of life. In Romans chapter 6, he says, As Jesus died and was buried and he rose again, as he was baptized, so we also have been spiritually baptized. We died to self. We are given a new life in Christ. 
And now we are to walk a new life for the Lord. God forbid that we should continue in sin. Where the grace of God abounds, the grace of God has been given to us, it exists within us. God forbid that we should continue in sin. God forbid that we should remain in any state other than a, than a heart of repentance. A repentant heart. Or should we say, a broken heart. Is your heart so broken for your own sin? Is your heart so broken for your own sin that as a result, you're finding joy, and catch this, you're finding joy through the forgiveness which comes from God. You see, that's the comfort. Amen? That's the comfort. The joy is the moment that we acknowledge our sin, we confess it before God, and God forgives us. That's the joy. The Bible tells us the happiest person on all this earth is the Christian who mourns. The true comfort that is found in God is as Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And Christian, all the things in this earth will pass away, including mankind himself, unless we come to, to a saving knowledge of Christ. All things will pass away. But those who know Christ will be together with him forever. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Are you the happiest person on earth as a result of your weeping? Blessed are they that weep. Do you weep with a heart of compassion, a compassion for the lost? Do you weep with a repentant heart, a broken heart before God? In the midst of your weeping on this earth of things that you face, does it draw you to a closer walk with God? Let's every head bowed and every eye closed. Just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn, hymn number 430. But I want to speak with you for just a moment.